Hello and welcome back to this premium. Yes, back because you have been oh, gone, nice. uh, or more accurately, we have been gone. We have been out of the room, and you have been sitting in the room, staring at a wall, waiting to hear from us, your real life friends, with whom you have a real life and entirely non parasocial friendship, to come back in from getting cigarettes or going to the shops or doing other things out in the world. Maybe we're back at the ball pit bar. I think it might be open again. Who can say? Anyway. With that out of the way, welcome back, Trash Future Bonus. It's me, Riley. I'm uh, here today with uh, a combination of Alice, who's recently undergone some personal calamity. Yeah, my fucking bed frame collapsed into splinters because of my fat, gigantic ass. <laughs> Damn. Alice fucks right. real good. That's what you should take from that story. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, we also have, have Hussein. I have a bed, but I choose to sleep on a, uh, in a clothes nest. Chat. That's right. Uh, Hussein, who's doing go, doing very well. Milo, who is on top form and will be oh. very fast with <laughs> yeah, the ziggers. I, I am calling in from uh, my new my new uh, think tank, the Horrors of the Sesh Foundation. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, we are joined by returning champion for Pete, Josie Long. Uh, who's going to be with us for our first two segments. Josie, Hello. how are you doing? Oh, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up, yep. doesn't it? Yep. Listen. So, you know what? I've had a sesh, Josie's had a baby. It has a similar effect on the mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, uh, I think what, what we should do is we should jump right in, because I know we have slightly limited time. We're going to jump right into the startup, which I have this week for us. It's a lot of fun. Can anybody tell me what they think the company Sidekick does? Oh, is it an energy drink? Oh no! Is it is it a T Mobile yeah. uh, like d- a proto smartphone from? Uh, yeah, the, where uh, you like 2000s. flip it open sideways. Yeah. And it oh has a yes. Keyboard. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Question. No, so proposal one. It's a drink. Proposal one. It's a phone. Uh, Alison Hussein. Let me hear something from you. Sidekick. Alice, do you want to go first? Sidekick. Sidekick. It's it's a it's a social network for those like yes. freaky real life superhero guys. So you can go and apprentice with Phoenix Jones in Seattle. Oh yeah. Or or uh, or the uh, what's that guy? The Joker who lives in uh, Santa Cruz. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can. This. I, I can audition to be his Harley Quinn, the thing that every woman wants the most. I want to. I want to bring it around one more time because this is very much within our remit. This is the kind of startup we have discussed numerous times, but this is its purest expression. I have an idea, but it's kind of something. It's like an expre- It's like a pa- type of parasocial relationship type of thing, and what it's designed to do is like it's designed to like make you change your behavior in some way. Mm. That's okay, Hussein. You actually are the closest. Oh so no far. way! Okay, it All is. Right. It is a. It is to do with a social relationship, and it is made to make you change <gasps> oh your behavior in some oh way. My God, okay, okay. So just like just uh, just to kind of add on what I said, is it kind of like pickup artist related, where it's like a, 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 like a pickup artist guy is like giving you <laughs> real time advice on how yes, to like flirt with someone? You try to like flirt with a woman, and then from your phone comes like a, a synthetic <laughs> voice that's being thrown in the opposite direction. That's like this guy's really cool. <laughs> that's just that's just an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> if that 
If that app is not Literally. called Wingman, then that app. Yeah, not that's true. Called. Still, though, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm stuck yeah. on this though. Like, y- you like you take out your phone, you're trying to hit on a girl, and then this app just plays. Uh, hey, your name? It's Doctor Whatever <laughs> at, the, at the clinic for huge dicked men. We have we got your results back, and it's actually the largest we've ever seen. I'll I'll, I'll give you a, a one. I'll give you a hint that should sell it. Okay, it is real time. It is social, and it is designed to control your behavior. I'm still kind of fixated on... It's it's a hardware. It's a hardware item. It's the back to the chastity belt again. Yeah, I'm still kind of fixated on the clinic for for huge dicked men, and like what exactly (laughs) the clinic does. Like, you've got a huge dick, we already know that. It studies them, right? Like, clearly, yeah. yeah. Do they treat you in some way? No, mostly- I'm, Mostly I mean... what it does is it's a referral service. It's like a sign-off. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, you just like how if something gets stolen from you, you have to go to the police, like, so that and then say what was stolen, so that if you're lying to the insurance company, what you've done is now lied to the police as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make it like what, a it, what it profit. is, what it is, yeah. right? Is uh, you know that like joke about oh, I'm so good at martial arts, I have to register my fists as lethal weapons. It's like that. My dick is so big that the government requires me to be on like a list permit. at this clinic. Yeah. Or no, oh, no. What it, what it, what it actually is is it's um. But it's the in the new the new version of the GRA. You have to go get registered as having a dick that's too big, <laughs> and the dick and, and the dick big dick clinic surgery. is controlled. Yes, <laughs> it's controlled by Virgin. <laughs> uh, so you have to pay Richard Branson. He checks out your dick and is like, "Yep, <laughs> too big for a lady. <laughs> it's got to go." <laughs> to money, please. No, no, no. Uh, that's not that. Uh, I, I'm kind of spoon feeding this to you right now. I'll say this. It's a piece of hardware. It sits on your desk, and um, a lot of people crow about worrying that society is turning into the book that this is from. Okay, wait. So it's uh, a nineteen eighty four thing. It's a telescreen from nineteen eighty. Yep, Alice. Yes. What? 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 It's a telescreen. So a dude just watches you from your desk and like makes sure you're working. <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah, like enforced no. aerobics at certain times of the day. <laughs> I mean, yep. in many ways, that is kind of like that Black Mirror episode, except with the pickup artist, because he does like, kind of watch these guys in real time, right? Mm-hmm. But it somehow, it, so it, so but this... it somehow sucks. Mm. So, sidekick uh, is be in the same room with your colleagues while you work from home. Sidekick no. is a hardware device that connects remote teams with an always-on video call. No, awesome. thank you. No jacking at your desk unless you're thing, brave. Right? <laughs> Unless you work at the Big Dick Factory and you're uh, the Big, big dick, dick Clinic, clinic. yeah. <laughs> like, no, this is yeah. medically necessary, actually. Oh, yeah, I'm Big Dick. From yeah, sorry, big this dick's is prescription jacking it. Yeah. So, uh, this is this is this is what it is. It, we have danced around this exact product with almost everything we've talked about with technologies related to work, mm-hmm. but they've never gone and fully just made a telescreen until now. Incredible. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Josie, what are your what are your thoughts about the telescreen? Uh, you you work in uh in, in the creative industries. I do, but I work on my own, and so I am my own telescreen. Oh, so you know what you need? You need a telescreen co working space where tons of people with Sidekick can get like chat rouletted to a bunch of other people with Sidekick, so that they can like talk about uh, prestige TV. Well, also if 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 it was going to be like chat roulette, I would fully expect people to have their dicks out if chat. Mm. Oh, sorry, I thought this was the big dick clinic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a. Do you know what chat roulette? 
was so fun. And me and my friend used to go on it and we used to do this thing where we would pretend to cough up a giant potato. And it was such a good visual trick. And we would get people laughing all around the world. And then one day it was just people masturbating. Yeah. And that uh-huh. was it. That, that was when the woke left so, right comedy. Yeah, that's it. It's fucking, it's like Mark said, <laughs> all that is solid melts into dudes jerking off. That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the, so Sidekick uh, is founded by uh, three ex-Palantir employees. Good, cool. Awesome. A very cool, a very cool company. I, I love that also. It's just like, what's the only thing we know how to do? Spy and facilitate spying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're all, none of them are from like the... Sort of like the clandestine CIA relations factory. They're all from like the product yeah. design element of Palantir. So it's like when we're making the uh, you know spying on a political dissidents uh, toolkit for the CIA, we were like, what would be easy? How, what what would I like to my click through menus to look like? And then they invented a thing where you don't even buy the thing that's spying on you. Your boss rents it. And then puts it and then forces you to have it in your on your desk at home. It kind of reminds me of the cops. Yeah, Stuart Lee has that bit about social media where he says it's like a Stasi staffed by gullible volunteers. And I feel like that is just increasingly the direction in which everything is going. Like, you're kind of your own secret police, which is cool in a way. Hmm. Uh, so from their, from their um, how, why they say that this is beneficial. They say the three things that stink about remote, remote work. Building culture is tough. Where one person interviewed says, I really miss those five men conversations about quote unquote nothing with my team. Wow, inspiring. Yeah, it's a regular fucking episode of Seinfeld. Number two, uh, you smell really bad because you're not showering. <laughs> Kramer walks in with a massive prosthetic <laughs> dick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did I tell my friend Bob A lot of French women uh, collapse to the floor in <laughs> sexual feud. Also, it's like, who misses five. Who misses five-minute conversations about nothing with your coworkers? That's a tax on on your productivity. That is something that one of the many indignities that you endure, so that you can keep yourself housed and not dying, hmm. is having to talk about inane bullshit with people who you wouldn't otherwise choose to be <laughs> yeah, around. Who would do that? <laughs> and crucially, like people who like probably don't like you anyway. So this is just a way of like forcing people who already hate you into like having conversations about prestige TV or. Um, Premier League matches. Which, again, can all be monitored. Yeah. Yes. Which, crucially, are all be... Because, yeah, the, the, all these... All this technology, like, we talked about that other, like, startup that's like, we're gonna help uh, remote teams work better by monitoring the content of everyone's messages so you know who's trying to unionize. Oh, my. Uh, shall we do do the second thing? That, the say, second problem. So, go ahead, Josie. The fact that they have to rent it, there's something just so grim about the fact that they can't even buy their oppressive hardware that they have to rent it it's like that to me is like the most modern part of it is is that you have servitude your bosses will be in servitude i love it when the cia, I love it when the CIA come around and tell me i'm behind on the payments for the bugs they've installed in my house <laughs> yeah you, you have to buy like a tv license otherwise the detector vans will catch you awesome <laughs> nope that's it's the, it's your cctv license ah. uh it's like your it's like your sag this is uh, such a like hackly written future i hate it <laughs> 
in the future, there will be only two genders, right? Gender one is you're the guy who rents their own surveillance equipment so that they can be surveilled. And gender two is you're the guy going to war with the TV licensing agency who has a YouTube channel called Ban the BBC. Those are the two guys you could be <laughs> now. So the second one, brainstorming is difficult. Quote, arguing in front of a whiteboard is invigorating. Arguing over a Zoom meeting is trust destroying. <laughs> arguing in front of a whiteboard? Invigorating. Arguing. Who does that? It's invigorating. I don't know. Guys who work at Palantir and are like, ah, I've optimized my run to the office. Yeah, that's how startups work. Awesome. For some reason, the only image that yeah, I just, the I just, only reason yeah. the only image that that's conjured in my mind is of um. Do you guys remember that that viral video of the guy who was wearing a gun and a holster for some reason, who in front of a whiteboard was explaining something he called the hot crazy matrix? What? No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. How, wait, and Milo, were you invigorated? I was highly invigorated by it. Uh, and the, uh, just the, the third one says, onboarding is impossible. I just tried onboarding a new hire, and it felt so stilted and difficult. <laughs> and taken, the, taken together, what that says to me is, this is being... The only way you could like advertise this as a positive is people who are so socially weird that they are desperate for the kind of friendships that they you sort of force into existence at work. Mm. It's like, uh, I, 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 if I'm onboarding you, I need you to smile and say, yeah, we, sh- we should, you know, grab a coffee at, at 3 p.m. or whatever. I can't just give you the information and you do the thing. No, I need to be invigorated by our whiteboard sessions. I need to have my most of my diet of social interaction come from five-minute conversations about, like, uh, I don't know, like, what kind of like what what electrolyte I'm putting in my water to maximize my JavaScript, and then all the, I need to make sure that my actual relationship it's worse than parasocial relationships. It's involuntary social relationships, and these people miss it, them and are willing to rent spy equipment for themselves to continue experiencing well, yeah, because this them. Is, this is also a type of person for whom like their mo- their main mode of social interaction is going to the office, right? Um, so for a lot of these people, like this has been a very bad time for them because they've sort of been stuck on their own or stuck having to like speak to like roommates who probably hate them anyway. But in like an office setting, your colleagues might hate you, but they have to kind of at least tolerate you. Yeah. So for them, it's kind of like, you know, just even taking this mode of toleration and forcing people to kind of partake in it just to simulate a familiar experience for a certain type of person yeah the platonic form of socializing is like you're alan partridge you're talking to someone you don't know and you say did you see the game last night and he says which one you go i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is a review from a business owner it's pretty incredible how much i miss the random humming and things my teammates say wow that's just sad that's really sad yeah tumblr pizzeria owner so cool You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a Russian joke, right? Uh, and oh, the, no. the Russian joke is <laughs> there's, there's three guys stuck on a desert island, an Englishman, a Frenchman, and a Russian. And a genie appears and says, we'll give them two wishes each. And so the Englishman says, uh, the perfect cup of tea and to like go home to my family. And he poof, disappears. And the Frenchman says, okay, uh, 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 the perfect bottle of wine, and then home to my family. And he disappears too. And the Russian says, oh, we're having a nice time. A uh, case of vodka and the other two guys back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That, that, well, welcome to this. Hey, you know, you, you thought you were going to have like a nice, easy time working at home. 
No, because everyone misses the innocuous water cooler chat on the surface. But really what they're doing is watching you to make to, so that they can fire you if you look away from your computer or blink too much. Yep. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- um, I love to get transported back to the desert island where Vitaly is already a bottle of vodka deep and he's at that stage where he wants to cry and tell you about his insecurities <laughs> about women and also a dog that died. <laughs> Uh, and as per usual, of course, they have an innocuous explanation as to why this actually isn't so bad. They say, look, TechCrunch, the sidekick isn't for everyone. Sidekick is meant for fast-moving teams forced into remote work that, that need to be in the same room to make progress. Teams like startup founding teams, product leadership, executive, chief of staff, and sales. So again, no, no, no. This, this thing that's potential for widespread abuse and spying and so on that you have to rent, uh, no, no, no. That's not for all that stuff. That's for some specialized business application. Uh, and we're going to trust them, uh, anyone who uses this system, to not do the other stuff. Of course. Yeah. You, you, you do- Are you saying you don't trust them to do that? Look. The three Palantir guys? people don't like being the, spied the three- on, they'll simply vote, for the, vote with their feet and rent a different spying platform. yeah you can rent any spying platform you want uh this is the one that says no spying Mm. i think that we can all abide by the rule of introduce the sinister surveillance technology first worry about the details later Mm. yeah absolutely I, i i or like um when uh or, or, or even like the, the the different kinds of like fin- like fintechs that are like, well, someone could use this to sort of circumvent payday lending uh, uh, standards, but we think they shouldn't. <laughs> we, anyway, we strongly think that that would be a bad thing for them to do. More news from James Ball <laughs> after this. Or, or even, or even, there was another one, which was uh, another one of these like spying on your workers startups, where they were like, where where TechCrunch was just like. Don't you think this was the one where they're analyzing sentiment and messages to try to support cultural transformation dynamics or whatever? They were like, don't you think this could be used for spying? And they were like, well, if you spied, then people wouldn't feel good about their work and all the benefits of using the system, which is to make people feel good about their work, would be lost. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, for, the, you wouldn't yeah, want for to- them, it's not spying. It's for them, it's just like hanging out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, this is the, the ultimate FBI expression. He's developing uh, a parasocial relationship with the guy he's spying on, becoming like a fan. <laughs> well, this is like right. This is the 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 ultimate development of just like the uh, of the politics of um of of expression and emotion, the psychopolitics, which I've talked about so frequently. Uh, this is that's that's this crossing over into the workplace, right? Where it's just like, no, you you're friends with these people. You've missed them. You miss them, and if you don't act like you miss them and agree that this your reason that, that you miss them, and that's why you have this telescreen on your desk that's watching you all the workday, you have to say that's why, mm. uh, or else you don't fit with the culture. Yeah, C- culture fit is like the single best thing for like non at will employment states, which are coming everywhere, by the way. Uh, it's, it's just like, uh, you just didn't really fit in because you kept talking about things like, you know, unions and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Again, anyway. non-at-will employment states. 
Mm. Well, at will employment is uh, it's it's sometimes called right to work in this really fucked sort of way. Um, uh, most states in the U.S. are this now, where you can essentially be be fired without having to state a reason, and this gives you as a worker more more freedom because you can also just quit whenever you want, which is awesome. We all love doing that. Um, uh, there are some other states where you have to like actually show cause and where you have to do that because you can't say for legal reasons. Uh, I don't know. They kept fucking trying to unionize. You have to be like, yeah, didn't didn't fit with the culture. Didn't really vibe with us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now there's a univer- that, there's a constant universal vibe biopsy that's going to be happening all <laughs> the time, right. facilitated by some palantir guys renting you a telescreen. <laughs> Great. <laughs> But hey, cool. 1984 was really about vibes. Mm. Yeah, uh, I want to move on a little bit. Uh, I would like to move on from the sidekick uh, to never think of it again, uh, and definitely to never see any kind of technology that is going to somehow, in some way, push the boundary of surveilling your employees beyond that. It's gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. My goodness, I want I want to talk a little bit. About some policy. Who loves policy here? Famously. Uh, I'd say I was a real policy wonk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> that's 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 not what I heard from chat roulette. Um, <laughs> policy wonk, is that one of those liberal insults? <laughs> yeah. Wank puffin. Uh, God. Uh, so, uh, Josie, in your sort of, you know, different years trundling through this earth, uh, you know, going hither and yon... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Sound like I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> Listen, if we were all filling out some sort of form, we'd all be in the same age bracket. Oh God, That's I say right. that and I think it's not true. Under a hundred years old. Are you under or over a hundred and fifty years young? Mm. Yeah. Have you? Has any kind of locomotion you've engaged in ever been described <laughs> as trundling? <laughs> um, so yes, in your in your low these many decades, uh, you have uh, you have worked in uh, different foundations that have like uh, tried to say shine a light on the uh, one might say uh, drastic emergency of uh, arts and culture funding in this country, which has basically been in the toilet since, what, 1994, since Cool Britannia, basically? Uh, Yeah, I I, I think, so uh, if we're talking about um, the government's response to um, COVID and their funding for the arts, what is really apparent is that they are not willing to take into account class in any way, shape, or form. And what? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, I thought all those working class uh, red wall voters with their buy-to-let houses and small businesses and stuff, I thought that, that they did take into account class now. Um, well, sadly, even though they are absolutely, and we can all agree, the party of the working classes, um, they... Uh, their response, the arts package, has come a bit too little, a bit too late, and also is quite um, focused. Basically, it's not addressing the fact that the arts, and this is where my experience comes in, although the things I'm about to say are so obvious, but the arts is one of the least accessible um, 
uh, industries when it comes to people not from privileged backgrounds. The, uh, Wait, I just checked on the masthead of Times Radio, and it seemed like only 30% of the Times Radio masthead was related to other people on the Times Radio masthead. That's a majority of people who I assume aren't there in hepatistic. <laughs> oh my God, don't even get me. The idea that she is, re- that Amber Rudd is reinventing herself as like, I'm a fun, cuddly mum who sends other mums to their death. Like, what the fuck? It's so despicable. <laughs> and that her daughter, like, I fully understand it must be so odd to come from a privileged background. Although I am very happy to swap and I will make full use of her many sheets and I will, you know, give it a go. But like Amber Rudd's daughter, Flora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I understand it must be hard to make a name for yourself, but it's like, it's so shameless to be like, well, I guess I'll just piggyback on my mum's success as a despicable politician with blood on her hands and see how that goes when I talk about how I love to fuck. Yeah, do some jokes about pegging or something. Yeah. So that's the thing. If you want to be- doing it in a horny way. Yeah. What is it about posh people and being weirdly uninhibited about being horny with their family? Yeah. It's weird. Uh, (laughs) So look, um, but it it basically, that's the normal way into the arts in this country. Yeah, right? oh, you basically so, have a parent who got into the arts when it was like marginally more open, and then they guard your sort of, uh, uh just like your sinecure for you, so that then you can basically have like seventh generation columnist <laughs> or you know, um, uh, like visual like mm. uh, a visual effects installer at the Tate Modern, and my father was a visual effects installer at the Tate Modern, etc. Well, I mean, it, it is an industry that's rife with nepotism, and it is an industry where, and it's just, it, I'm not going to say anything that's going to be a great surprise to anyone, but you know, unpaid internships, um, extremely low paid entry level positions, um, people who don't go recruit outside of their normal networks, um, add, add on to that kind of many barriers of like, the structural prejudices of the people who are already working there. Like then on top of that, you have the fact that funding is often skewed towards larger prestige organizations. And so like in this crisis, what we're seeing is smaller venues can't cope. Um, Comedians who don't, uh, um, why am I instantly saying comedians? Um, Artists who don't have um, family backing can't cope. It's also Silly, but uh, silly is the wrong word. It's also obvious, but it's having real knock-on effects. And we're already in a position where 10 years ago, they stopped funding arts and humanities degrees and they put them under threat, which we're seeing kind of the the end game of playing out now where they're saying that they're going to get rid of unprofitable degrees, i.e. degrees that people don't instantly go into finance from. Like it, it, it's, We're already seeing them cutting arts education in schools to the bone so that normal kids at normal schools aren't allowed to study art or drama and and music and do not have that as a part of their daily life from a really young age obviously keeping it in the private schools so the children of the wealthy get to enjoy it um 
And so it's like this long grinding car crash of a crisis whereby anyone who doesn't come from a wealthy background is being inhibited over and over and over again in terms of education, in terms of financial support, in terms of adequate funding for arts degrees. And like then on top of that, you have that these are like difficult to get into, hard to stay in and hard to sort of influence industries. And then you have a government that just sort of sat there and went, ah, I'm sure it's fine, don't worry about it, until like five minutes ago. And then we're like, I guess we'll bail out some opera houses. Bye. Oh, yeah. I'd be interested to hear Josie's take on this, but I think that like my, my like theory about arts funding really is that like the nature of arts funding as it is in this country is it tends to go to like big organisations and a lot of the funding seems to find its way to like bodies and spaces type shit that's being done by people who actually went to like Cheltenham. Later yes, like there was that one, there Whereas was that like, one letter that was released for like, I forget which theatre it was, uh, maybe it was like the Old Vic or something like that, but it was some massive like alt theatre released a diversity statement and it was like, listen, we're, we're over 50% female and over 90% white <laughs> and it's like... We've got all, we've got all kinds of... Yeah, exactly. Different right? Um, yeah, and but I think if you want, like my take is really what what arts funding really is is social housing and the dole. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Th- this stuff wasn't a problem when we had social housing. Well, and the dole. also I think one of the reasons you know that I am so like devastated by threats to our public health care is I think without a safety net, people from backgrounds that aren't wealthy backgrounds simply do not have the option to take the risk. And I was, and it's one of the, the other reason why I'm so against student debt, because you see it influencing the decision-making of people. You know, people don't dare to take a creative degree because they can't then justify to themselves and their families the debt they're taking on, or, or they do, but then they can't then subsist and pay off that debt. And, like, it, it, it's almost as if capitalism is the enemy of the arts. But it's... No. It's what? So- I, I, I was very excited for Michael Gove's plan to get people doing uh stem in the opera house oh god but like to to sort of reinforce your point yes like it's such a dumb example but like you oasis were like we only exist because of the doll like in the 80s and 90s if you were a struggling member of the band they actually fuck the doll (laughs) (laughs) but in the 80s and 90s if you were a struggling artist in a band you could claim the doll while you were doing that and at that time i'm not saying the doll has ever been anywhere near as generous as i would make it but it was not uh, as entrenched in like a purpose of trying to immiserate and destroy people as it is now. And so I think, yeah, a lot of these things, you know, affordable housing, like London is where people have been drawn to come to try and make it as comedians. London is also so prohibitively expensive to rent that you have, you know, people who are simply priced out of coming to where all the gigs are. Like, it does all tie into the fact that we have become a more unequal and unfair society where conservatives are in power and conservatives are putting their mates in power. And then you go on to the fact that, like, culture is what we make it. And, you know, the fucking crown, like, it's all this shit... (laughs) Is that helpful or just obvious? I think it's obvious, isn't it? I think it's very helpful, actually. Um, well, so well, let's talk about let's talk about the specifics of this uh, rescue fund yeah. because how this actually played out um, was that uh, we we had no arts uh, funding to save the arts. The arts industry said, "Excuse me, if you don't sort of fund us, that will everything will go to business, and the Royal Opera House will become a pret." 
Um, fine. Yeah, you know. then, then there won't be any potato prints of people's genitals, and then how will you feel? Um, and so what, what they came up with was 1.57 billion pounds, uh, where Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden says, not everyone is going to be able to survive, and not every job is going to be protected. I will have to be honest with you. Of course, you will see further redundancies. Uh, I th- yeah, also, not everyone is going to be able to survive. Uh, I know what you meant, but I also know what you actually mean, Dowden, which is we're okay with much of the population dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how that breaks down is the vast majority of the money, uh, shock, shock horror, is going to cultural organizations in England. And uh, Josie, as you hinted earlier, much of those organizations are organizations that have large listed buildings in London and the Southeast. Mm. So it's basically more like a fund uh, for buildings. Yeah. And and also, I, am I right in thinking that up until the Live Comedy Association, which is newly founded and amazing, got involved, you know, to try and create some pressure, comedy wasn't even included in this package. That's right, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah, I mean you would know better than us. That. Yeah. I should but know, how, shouldn't I? Here's the question. If, um, co- no, that, comedy, that is right. And as, as a comedian, I have a lot of sympathy with that because comedy is terrible. <laughs> I'm beginning to believe that sincerely. Um, I, what we need is we need, we need a government grant, a million pounds for Alfie Noakes. Okay, do you want to hear a really dark theory? Yes, please. Go for it. My theory is actually that all when eventually when they get the comedy industry to get some of this money, what will happen is like the comedy store will get a huge bailout. So a bunch of like washed up fucks can do the same 15 minutes about their mother-in-law for like 400 quid a night. And like, I, I just, I'd, I'd love to see big comedy clubs that are run by cunts go bankrupt. Like genuinely, I think that would be very funny and wouldn't affect actually good comedy at all. <laughs> I mean... Sure. <laughs> no, I think um, Josie cannot take it's a position complicated on that because I, I don't know which yeah. clubs you mean, and there are some yeah. clubs that I will back for the rest of my life and always. I'm not being specific. Um, I think. Mm. Well, if I may be needlessly sort of fay, I I think a nice thing to remember is that things like comedy have never really received any backing, and that they do thrive in part because it's something that people can enter easier than other art forms and I what is always important as an optimistic thing is to remember that there's never ever ever a dearth of talent enthusiasm imagination and intelligence and there's never a dearth of creative ability it's just a society that Mm. seeks to bash that out of people and a society that seeks to kind of only only allow for the wealthy to enjoy it and and I think that like that gives always gives me a lot of hope because there'll always be more people trying and there'll always be more people setting up organisations. And um, so Arts Emergency, which is the organisation that I helped set up, what is wonderful about it is these we're supporting, you know, generations of young people that have had so much taken from them. But what we're able to do is kind of, at the very least, be there for them to give them opportunities which had otherwise been taken away. Um, so, like, I... I like, I just thought it'd be nice just to say, I'm not bleak about this shit. I really believe in, but it's all the same. It, it reflects politics at large. You know, I'm very angry and disillusioned with institutions, but I love ordinary people. And it's that too, isn't it? In the arts as well. well what is the Royal Albert Hall and the other quote crown jewel venues that this, uh, this arts package is largely meant to save, but a very large bricks and mortar person? <laughs> well, uh, it's hard okay. though because I think the Royal Albert Hall is a wonderful thing and I wouldn't like to see it um, go at all but I just think 
don't do a package that's like, yeah, we know this is inadequate. Okay, bye. Yeah, it's like <laughs> well, th- th- yeah. this is like, yeah. of course, of course, it's important to preserve the buildings. It's just you can do both. You can do yeah. both of those things. You print the money. You can decide how much money there is, and you are choosing to act like, oh, well, there's not enough, so we've kind of got to just, you know, bail out this one quite nice building, but everybody else has to get fucked. Guards Polo Club getting technically reclassified as an open mic to get funding. It's also also indicative of just, like, the priority of, like, saving tourism more than anything else, right? Which is, like, one reason why it's so, like, London-centric. It's also one reason why, like, it's these big, grand institutions that like charge a lot of money main like a lot of the time to tourists in order to kind of save particular arts packages and arts programming um i know that like in my area of like southeast london um arts have been cut pretty much like to the bone now to the point where even like the local theater i think is kind of on the brink of collapse at the moment um and i'm sure that's just like a did like for every kind of area where you have like lots of working class people and especially lots of working class people of color like that story is probably very familiar the idea of like a community arts hub is something that hasn't existed for a long time and the COVID-19 crisis has kind of given um, given uh, the government like permission to really just let that go without any, uh, any type of bailout package. Well, it's also the question is, well, who are they bailing out? Because the chief, co-chief executives of the National Theatre, Rufus Norris and Lisa Berger, said they feel very positive that this major investment will reach and sustain the vital talent and infrastructure. And much like in universities, if you look at the actual salaries mm, of yeah. the people who are at the top of these organizations, you begin to know what talent they're sustaining. <gasps> Due to privatization, Lisa Berger having to change her name to Lisa Burger King. <laughs> Lisa Burger That's right. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yes, please. That list of people employed by, uh, was it the Royal Opera House and the salaries that came out? I think out, it might have yeah. been, yeah. I was. Yeah. The-, the idea that someone in that organization is paid £600,000 a year in income. And also, we know that it's already a member of the aristocracy. They don't even fucking need it. That's their chicken feed, you know? <laughs> like. <laughs> no, some of some of those some of those uh, aristocrats. There's a lot of chickens sorry. on that estate, Josie. <laughs> yeah, some some of those aristocrats just have those giant houses that they couldn't possibly sell. So you know, mm-hmm. they need yeah, to they need exactly. to pay a heating bill for a seventy room home with a barracks somehow. Um, yeah, I tell you what, this eighty acre estate is a real albatross around my neck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, and that's not even including the Italianate marble albatross that's been carved in the front driveway. <laughs> um, right, so the, if, and the other thing, right? If you want to look forward, if most of this money is going to preserving the big prestigious organizations with the like, you know, usually fresh from consulting or or, or finance or nepotism people who are heading them up. Um, and this fresh from three going, years at nepotism school <laughs> and this isn't going to i mean that is basically what you know come on uh that, uh, that, that what's going to happen college <laughs> that's right uh that, that what's going to essentially happen is that you're going to see lot again all the community spaces die out um or many of the community spaces die out unsupported freelancers basically bidding wages down and then um a smaller number of jobs that are going to go to even richer people uh, that will be even more precarious, but it won't matter because the people are rich from other means. Yeah. Like what this is going to do is accelerate, uh, accelerate um, uh, 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 the uh, uh, compression of this industry into just a few, even fewer locations with fewer institutions and fewer jobs that are held by 
fancier and fancier and fancier people. And I bet, I bet you, I bet you anything, the only jobs that will be added in this sector as a result of this bill, of this uh, funding injection, are administrators who will be help the organizations compete for grants and control people with KPIs. Wow. Uh, or do, I mean, yeah, or just like liaisons that kind of do that coordinate more sponsorship with like big four consulting firms and stuff, right? Who are also like huge patrons of like or like who fund kind of elite art projects. Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna love like EY doing their own dramatized version of the wire card fiasco <laughs> that somehow exonerates them. The producers. Well, there's actually, I think this is, there's this kind of like very like pernicious attitude towards like creative work and the arts, which has kind of been created, particularly in the last like 20 to 30 years of the sort of capitalist hell that we live in, which is that like they don't actually want it to die out, but there's a, there's an extent to which they just have internalized the idea that I think our society promulgates a lot, which is that like work is a horrible thing that you should hate. And so anyone who does something that they like for a living should be punished for doing so. And so like they kind of know that like, oh, yeah, well, like you will do this for as close to free as possible because you don't hate it. Unlike my job, which involves typing numbers into a spreadsheet, which I hate, but enables me to own property. And that's the trade off. You deserve to be. I think that's like sort of right. I think the idea more is that like, you know, you should love your job, but you should love your job in like a very particular way. Like you should love serving your boss and you should love doing spreadsheets. You should should rent a little screen to allow your boss to see you. And you should love like having lots of screen on screens on your desk. But the idea of like, you know, going to work in like entertaining people or like not wearing, you know, not wearing a suit or not being chained to your desk for a long time. Right. That's kind of a real, I feel like I I, I totally get what Milo is saying because that, that totally is a attitude that lots of people have in terms of why they think that the arts are important, but the people who actually do the arts are not. And I feel like a lot of that kind of, a lot of that can be seen in this, you know, the similarities and the rhetoric between why STEM is so much better than like the humanities and the arts. Um, and it really comes down to the idea that, like, we we like productivity and the type of enjoyment that you have from your job is should be very limited and refined and really measured based on how many screens you have on a desk. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of how you end up with these people like accidentally building the robot stars, right? <laughs> because they've never read any like they've never read a book about like you know the sociological effects of these things. They just like oh well, I've built they, a they, thing that they, does a they thing. They read so productivity cool. books where it's like yeah, well, if you have four screens on your desk then you can use one screen for leisure, one screen for work, one screen for monitoring your best friend, and one screen for, like, talking to your wife. Isn't that really efficient? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's how we're going to save the National Theatre from the brink of, of, of disruption, by giving them all free sidekicks where the state pays half the rent of the sidekick <laughs> uh, for the first six months. It's, it's the ultimate uh, PFI to be... Uh, is it PFI or PPP? Where you you renting the sidekicks, the long term rental of sidekicks in public buildings? Must be PPP, right? Because PFI is like a yeah. hos- like hos- like hospital oh, contract. Yeah. Public no, it's, it's actually uh, it's it's PPI, and it's all administered by that one Tory MP who has like uh, seventy companies, <laughs> uh, all of which seem to have like uh, different blogs dedicated to uncovering the links between them. The bridge. That's the guy who has lots of screens. Mm. Yeah, the bridgehead guy. Seventy companies, each sexier <laughs> than the last. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, look. Uh, 
Josie, I'm aware that you have to uh, go and trundle on to the rest of your life. So instead of making you read an article about a billionaire, uh, I'm instead going to say thank you very much for coming on and and, uh, talking about terrible startups and the arts with us. Um, It's my pleasure. I wish I was able to access details better. Arts Emergency have done some really, really good research, which really clearly shows the extent of inequality within the arts and the sort of, uh, it kind of satisfies a lot of these things, but uh, take my word for it, it's it's real bad. No good. I, I can just say, Josie, you've been a very soothing presence on this oh, episode. <laughs> right. Thanks. This, well, it's lovely That's to right. hear all your voices. And um, I truly hope that things change drastically and radically for the better. Hey. so Yeah, that's a nice yeah. thought. <laughs> hey, why don't, well, well, let's keep that in our minds as while we go into the third I'm segment. I'm 90 years old. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, only, I don't know how much more trundling I have left. <laughs> See you guys um, later. All right. Thanks a lot, Josie. cycling here i passed a co-working space uh or sorry uh, i didn't know it was a co-working space at the time it just said a uh, buzz bar and then uh the tagline underneath was pay as you grow <laughs> i was like what is this i love this london is healing are completely <laughs> nonsense asinine. is back yeah, all the nonsense has returned, having <laughs> been made temporarily unviable <laughs> <laughs> we love nonsense um well, we yes. fucking had better do, considering it's our entire business model for this thing that we do. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, but at least, uh, what a baffling thing. R- pay as you grow, buzz bar. This just, that seems like a hair salon. It seems like a hair salon with an algorithmic pricing model. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, no, you've, yeah, you've invented a startup. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, no. you know, hey, check that out. Uh, but I, I've got, I've got one last, uh, one last thing for us to talk about. It's been making the rounds Just a little bit. Just when I bit. thought I was um, out, they pull me back in with a reading series. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so what we are talking about today, of course, is uh, we are going to be talking about this Bloomberg article uh, that's been making the rounds. Yeah, you know the one. Where, yeah, where uh, the the guy, the the Bloomberg uh, journalist, calls a an unnamed billionaire. Who, uh, by the, I, I've heard it rumored that this is actually Bill Ackman, who we'll be talking about a little bit uh, in the next free episode, um, about what they've been thinking about the pandemic. And it's just for me, it is so, it is such a perfect crystallization of what you have to be like to be a broadly liberal billionaire, mm-hmm. which I find so interesting. So we're going to read a little bit out of that uh, just today for our third and so final So just segment. to like exercise the guillotine lobes of our brains. <laughs> uh, that's right, parodically. Um, it's a so, bonus. You barely even have to still say that. <laughs> uh, so on the day the coronavirus was declared a pandemic, I called the richest person I know. The world was spiraling into chaos, um, and I thought someone well-connected might have an idea of what was going on. Okay, immediate question. Like, why are you calling the richest person you know? What we need right now is someone with absolute brain worms who's, like, building a fucking space Conley where they can jack it after the apocalypse. That guy is going to be keyed in. 
I no, I I think this is actually interesting, right? Because if you accept the pro- premise, which I think we do, that uh, billionaires are have an inexcusable amount of control over the daily lives of a lot of people, and yeah, no, nobody then, else seems to be checking in with what's going on with them. They're kind of left to their own devices. Like Bill Gates is just left alone to be like, yeah, we're gonna have like seven factories producing seven different vaccines. Yeah, it's great, uh, and. And, and and so I actually think, yeah, it is worth taking an interest in what these people think like. And uh, what's very interesting is that the subject of this interview is almost a perfectly flat person. Yes. And that's what I think is interesting about it. Yeah. The, the, the thesis here is that being too rich is bad for your soul. Um. Uh, what? Why would we make that argument? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it just it just rots everything within you until you are a person without qualities, uh, and all, all you have right. is is tastes and whims, and that's what this guy is going to be like. Yeah. So let's go through some of the quotes. It's a very long article, so I'm going to like read selectively from it. He says, "What the fuck? I'm not worried." He said, "I'm sure I already have it. What do I care?" Uh, his family was heading for okay. their country house outside of New York City, but he was staying put, working <laughs> the phones for his job, investing billions of dollars for clients. Uh, so he, that's the other thing about this billionaire. He's not a tech guy. He's not an, an industrialist. He is someone who made all of his money basically as a hedge fund guy. Mm. He's a hedge fund billionaire. Um, Which it, we, we, we're comes. told to believe like, gives you an understanding of risk. Uh, that that yeah. like puts you in like uh, some kind of deserved meritorious overclass, and this guy's like, yeah, I've probably fucking got coronavirus. I don't give a shit, man. <laughs> well, that's just it, right? I think he probably has understood that the risk to himself is minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like it beca- or or rather that the that he is more at risk from uh from economic disruption than he is at risk from any kind of pandemic. Mm. But the weird thing is um, that th- that basically this is a a series of phone calls over the course of many months. The weird thing is, right uh, after the stock market collapse and the eleven year bull market where everyone's wages like stayed, you know what, like twenty percent lower in real terms. Um, the nine point five plummet of the S and P five hundred was the biggest since Black Monday. I called the investor back, uh, who said, "Everyone knows it's going to be over in two months." His dismissiveness was almost eerie. You have no, to have this fine. kind of foresight to work in the markets, okay? It's not for, like, <laughs> normal people. You can't be dumb money. It's not like, you have to go to school for this shit, man. Yeah, actually, so the, the, they, the writer says, members of his class are supposed to be brilliant at analyzing and managing risk, so I was surprised <laughs> to find that he's I was surprised that this king who has been anointed by God turns out to be an enormous fucking moron when I got to talk to him. <laughs> I always assumed that the huge swinging jaw was a sign of intelligence, but actually... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I asked... So, seemed unbothered by what looked to the non-billionaires around me like a uniquely dangerous threat. I asked him how his circle was talking about the virus. Some people are going to die, but it's old people, and if they do, it's okay. Before he paused and said, wait, no, it's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I mean, uh, no, no. It's bad. Actually, yeah, actually Um, it's bad when people die. I, I, like, I have stenciled on my whiteboard, bad when people die. Yeah. Yeah, like looks at smudged writing on hand. Yeah, it's, it's very bad that these people, people are going to D? 
<laughs> what does it mean when you D? What's <laughs> um, interesting is that this this I'm going to try to minimize the commentary on this from the author and just mostly focus on what this billionaire is saying. But the commentary is some billionaires take pleasure in playing up nasty reputations, but this one considers himself to be thoughtful, generous, lucky, and friendly to his workers. Um, cool, good for him. The woke billionaire. When I next spoke with my billionaire, I thought he might be scared or sad. Instead, he was irritated. I thought he might Everyone's have human emotions, but instead, Wait. the total absence of risk to himself personally has turned him into some kind of, like, it has granted him Buddha nature. He has become totally without qualities. Yeah, when I next spoke with uh, my billionaire, makes this guy remote. sound like a Tamagotchi, which I feel like actually is quite an, an accurate characterization of, like, the bizarre, like, kind of sinecured world in which billionaires exist. Hmm. So everyone's working remote and realizing working remotely sucks. <laughs> I have to make individual calls. It's so hard. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> People don't understand how hard they really are. Minor inconvenience. Uh, a minor numbers. inconvenience is hard. Dying old people is okay. Yeah. Making but, phone uh, calls actually remember, gives me this anxiety. This is a liberal. Yeah. This is a, a liberal Democrat, like Democrat voting billionaire. Mm -hmm. Probably Democrat know? donating. Mm. Yeah. Democrat um, partying. I have to make individual. I have to make individual calls. It's so hard. It's so hard to deal with all these things. You can't get five people in a room, ten people in a room. I'm dealing with all this shit with my hands tied behind my back. Man, remember yeah. doctors, on a nurses. Yeah. Remember, remember, like or hospital cleaners and shit. Like, just re like remember that those people exist. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't have to make just, phone calls, oh, Alice. God, the phone. Yeah, yeah I, you're on I a love, private jet going to an phone... undisclosed island, and there's only one phone, and every billionaire on the plane <laughs> is trying to make a call. Yeah, everybody on Little St. James Island running into the same block of phone booths, like in Miracle at 34th Street, <laughs> and just tips over. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love to be in an entirely, like, beautiful, worn-up panelled world, and then there's one thing in the room, aside from, like, everything I could possibly desire apart from a phone, and it rings, and I just go, ah! <laughs> but, uh, uh, th this billionaire thought young and healthy workers should still be in the office. That scream uh, is said, the what? most voice therapy I've done in months, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Why aren't we saying, hey, anybody who's 30 or under, you guys still go to work. Just don't ever see your parents. Okay, cool. that sounds good. Okay, <laughs> the, sure. The next line. The billionaire, the billionaire saw Trump as a buffoon, and yet he mostly agreed with what the president was saying about the virus. So again, this is a... Uh, it's supposed to be one of like the good people in American politics. They uniquely a very successful. Someone's gonna donate to probably make, get Trump out of there or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, I kill all the old people. I wish I didn't have to talk on the phone. <laughs> Fuck, my life's difficult. <laughs> yeah, Trump's Trump's a dumbass, but it's more the way he says it. This is this is this is circling right back to the beginning of this episode, which is that this is a guy who isn't really talking about much about like hammering productivity. This is a guy who wants to hang out with people, and he just has found that like he can't do it. So he's trying to force people to hang out with him. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, if you pe if people aren't going to work, it's a depression. Trump isn't wrong. He just doesn't know how to explain it. Um, <laughs> exactly. Because you get depressed not hanging out with your friends. 
Yeah. Uh, by focusing on the economy, a lot of people are going to get sick. But if we focus on public health, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. I know which way it's going to end, but you can't say it. You sound insensitive. And in today's world, everyone's going to attack you. <laughs> Everybody sounds too insensitive. When I merely correctly identify that I am at the head of an economic system that requires that we kill your grandpa. Yeah. I don't know uh, why and- people are so fucking emotional about me saying that just to keep me in my beautiful, perfect existence, I am going to have to kill a person that you know at random. And yeah, and if you say anything about it, you know, That's- people are going to be mean, which as far as I'm concerned, the only thing worse than someone being mean to you is having to make a phone exactly. call. Exactly. Yeah. It's not also, personal, it's, like, yeah, he, he it's at random. A- he wants to be around all of his like skivvies and flunkies and you know uh harvard mba grads where he can where he can basically act like a bachelet and just be like you there you there in the striped tie come be my footstool i don't feel as good without my human footstool it's (laughs) just not as nice society is just logan's run but they've upped the age a bit (laughs) you can use a twig (laughs) as a footstool the person who explained this to me best is my contractor, he said, referring to a man who is building a, another house. Yeah, my for contractor him. Grover. Well, here's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, you can still be a billionaire, but everything in your life has to be designed by Grover. <laughs> um, also, welcome, welcome to a conversation that absolutely has happened. I say to him, Hey, what are you going to do if we have this lockdown? How long do you think we won't be able to build for? He looks up at me like, what, are you talking to me? If you're willing to pay us, we're willing to show up. And I said, aren't you worried? He said, I don't have money in the bank like you. If I ain't working, my family ain't eating. And then my mortgage ain't getting paid. Can I take oh, two weeks off? Sure, Leghorn building contractors. <laughs> uh, and yeah, in like, you know, fucking Westchester County or whatever, that's yeah. like Mimarinek, oh, well, absolutely. I, well, I do declare, I will, I will work here on this plantation house, sir, <laughs> until the sweat, the sweat drop from my brow. I, I will not be cowed by a virus, I'm a proud Louisiana gentleman. <laughs> I love to be building this column explaining my victories over the barbarous Thracians, and then I ask the Thracian slaves, hey, aren't you kind of worried? And they're just like, uh, no, actually, we like engraving this thing of you flogging us. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, okay, I don't care. If you guys want to show up, I'll still pay you. He looked at me and said, hey, big guy, this is America. No finance hedge fund billionaire is big. That's how I know that yeah. this is not a real story. <laughs> <laughs> They're all four my, feet tall. my contract, a childish Gambino. <laughs> yeah. He's got uh, billionaires have very expensive platform and- shoes that make them look big. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Trump sets out the first stimulus Bodies pile up in refrigerated trucks in New York And it becomes obvious that the virus is hitting the black community worse uh, My billionaire and I didn't discuss this when he called It was after dinner and he had to get back to his family I'm playing Risk, he said <laughs> Wait, he's playing Risk? Family, M- Mr. Yeah. Chapo, why don't you pop on down to the White House? I'm, I'm playing <laughs> Axis and Allies <laughs> we we wiped out the other two guys. I think I'm in a good position. You know, you know what being a good billionaire is like? Is just doing James Adomian's Gorka, but being like, and of course, Mr. Chapo, I always play allies. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, so everyone, uh, uh-huh. 
everyone's perception is the same. Uh, workers say they should that we should be paying them irrespective of the fact that they're not working. Yeah. And if you don't, it's because you're greedy. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, come to your house wrong. and knock over all of your risk pieces, bitch. <laughs> you're wrong. I say you're wrong. Sure, I'm happy to pay you for a month, even two. But after a certain point, you have to stop. <laughs> yeah, you you have to stop. I I meanwhile do not will never have to stop. Anything yeah, that I'm doing. You'll have to stop, I'm a simple country billionaire. Do, do you think I'm made of money or something? <laughs> uh, uh, and then he says he dove into a genuine attempt at empathy. A month ago, he acknowledged most Americans hadn't expected to get paid without working. Now it's like, hey, wait a minute. I can't work not because I want to, but because I can't. And you should be paying me. And if you don't, you're jeopardizing my life. Yeah. He went on doing the voice of a worker. Oh boy, I want so, so, so badly so to hear oh, this guy's no. worker voice. <laughs> hey, listen, so, Mac. So, uh, when, when do you want this listen, truck full of coronavirus bodies? You gotta, you gotta pay us, so see? So even afford- though we're not working. <laughs> so if so-and-so can afford to pay me, but I can't afford to go to work, and if I do, I'm jeopardizing my life, is my not- life not worth it? But then he still like he has the he understands he's willing to he's he can work through like the if you like the worker side of this particular um reasoned debate right but he's like well I still come down to the side of uh you die and then I get my own spaceport but I will be sad about it maybe yeah I'll- yeah. I'm trying to build a domasauria here, and these guys won't show up to work. What the fuck? <laughs> this really is conversations with a Roman emperor. Like yeah, this absolutely <laughs> is. This is this is so like Or I don't even think of Roman emperor. I think like a like a or like not a like a Roman Empire Roman emperor. I think an Eastern Roman emperor. Mm. This is this is conversations with someone who has a human footstool. Yeah. T- t- talking to the Basileus, and he's just like, yeah, yeah. "Well, listen, okay, look, maybe." I uh, I can put myself in the position of the person who guilds all of these icons for me, and maybe they don't want to guild all of the icons. Maybe they don't want to like breathe in the toxic golden mercury fumes constantly. I I, I can understand that, but the icon does need to get gilded. So, but you know, we're kind of at an impasse here, and I don't want to seem uh, greedy or tyrannical, but it's really very important that we guild this icon. Yeah. And they've not even made a start on the lilies. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, so Trump now, at this point, is warning of great pain to come. Um, and uh, tremendous and, pain. And, <laughs> Some and, of the very, best very pain we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm going to have to start that more. again because I sort of just. I'm going to have to start that again. I'm afraid because I really tripped on my word here. Uh, so. Trump was backtracking from his cheeriness, warning at, warning at a briefing of great pain to come. The best Over the pain, past some of the nicest very... pain, some of the most tremendous pain. Ah, folks, folks, it's very big pain. Over the st- very over big. The, over, over the past three years, his administration had been particularly good for rich executives cutting their taxes and stripping back corporate rules, as we all know. I asked the investor what he made of the president on the whole. The things he's done on the business side, I would tell you, have all been positive. Does that offset the harm he's done? Economically, yes. For me, that's been beneficial. Socially, how it hurts people and how I view the world, no. I would rather have less money to have a better world, but okay, my punishment is I have more money to have a more fucked world. 
oh no, this thing keeps happening. Uh, totally out with my control, where just due to market forces, I, I just keep getting richer. I don't like it. I really don't. I don't like that I'm stabbing you so many times. I I hate that. I hate this for me. And really, in many ways, it's me that's suffering because I'm the one who has to see myself stabbing you. But like, uh, by complaining that I am stabbing you several times in, in the chest and abdomen, uh, uh, you, you, I think you're being quite intolerant of just my my struggle personally to stop stabbing you. Also, it's like, yeah, socially, I really don't like it. But if you say that you don't like it economically, then uh, if you scroll up a few paragraphs in this article, uh, that's abuse of billionaires. Yeah, uh, that's that's people being unkind. <laughs> abuse of billionaires have. in the first degree. <laughs> Charged so, as a felony. So effectively, what that means is. Uh, it, it, this is this. I think this is so perfect as the encapsulation of like the mindset of the like establishment progressive party politician, mm -hmm. which is uh, all of this stuff is necessary. And you know what? Actually, it's good. We'd prefer it if it was a different way. We won't lift a finger to make that happen, but we will tell yeah, you. Yeah, we that. will. In fact, actively benefit from it. Mm. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, it's also just like this is kind of like a form of this is the type of like language and discourse that the Democratic Party and I guess like what now is the Labour Party are trying to kind of mainstream, right? The idea that like ultimately we need to kind of ally with these kinds of people because they say the right kinds of things in the right kinds of ways. So if you like, again, I think as like Riley mentioned, like, you know, socially, I when, when these people express that they socially don't like the situation, but they also kind of have this idea that like nothing can be changed, like nothing can be better. So the best that we can ask for is that people recognize how fucked up things are. I guarantee you that this guy is like upset, not viscerally, not emotionally, but like troubled by uh, federal agents kidnapping people in Portland because that's an ab abusive process. You know, mm. uh, he d he doesn't like that that's happening. Um, well, remember that we were seeing that there was like that the the, the objection. The objection from the Democratic Party was they're doing it and they haven't even been trained. You didn't fill out the fucking forms, man. You have to fill out the forms for that. What if those what if those agents, those what if what if those DHS agents snatching people up off the streets in Portland and sending them to fucking, I don't know, black sites in Kentucky? You know, what if they didn't do the unconscious bias video? Because <laughs> yeah. this is the thing, guys. Racism is abhorrent, right? Because it's a form of rudeness. But what you've got to remember is that without racism, there wouldn't be all those guys in prison gilding my icons. And I need those icons yes. gilded. Exactly. I, I need the yeah, icons I'm really badly. <laughs> I need those icons on my desk by eight. Um, <laughs> but also, what, what else? The other thing, right? Is that the, this is a fun? This is fundamentally a view of society that has a lot more in common with like original sin than it does with any kind of say social science or economics or basic perceptivity. Mm -hmm. you know, this idea of well, it would be great if it were this other thing, but we live in this fallen world, mm -hmm. so we just have to play by its rules while sort of while sort of lamenting that we must play by its and, rules. Yeah. I, I say again, adding onto my spaceport a, a human trebuchet. <laughs> and, the, and the idea is also like there's nobility to that as well. Like there's nobility mm. in kind of like recognizing your suffering, but also kind of marching through that. Yeah. Um, which, you know, so there's kind of like religious, the religious, the religious kind of iconography and stuff like it, it, it does really materialize in that way, except it's just kind of incredibly stupid because it goes back to that thing of like, well, if you die because, you know, 
it, it, at least like when it goes to like Islamic jihad and stuff, you're, you know, you're dying for like the sake of God. Whereas when it comes to like martyring yourself for the sake of not just capitalism, but like martyring yourself so that like the adult ball pits can still stand. Hmm. Yeah. I bet. Well, what do you think that- this guy's, what like. do you think this guy's house that this contractor is building looks like? Uh, I think I think walnut uh, walnut is is a part of it. Uh, there's a lot of walnut on the walls. Also, okay, I'm not saying this is Bill Ackman. I've just seen it said that this is Bill Ackman, um, and Bill Ackman actually has been in the news uh, because he's his hedge fund Pershing Square uh, has now created a company called Pershing Square Tontine, <laughs> which is the fighting hellfish. Yeah, the fi- yeah the fighting Ackmans, um, which is designed to be, uh, which is basically what's called a blank check company, um, which is something called a special purpose acquisition company or a SPAC, and what that is is basically mm. a hedge fund or an asset manager or a private equity fund that has quite a bit of money will just basically start a company that does nothing except have money. His house is pretty um, nice, Bill Ackman, by the way. Um, yeah. Like, uh, kind of yeah, like... Not a lot of walnuts. No, no like, like, sort of like Cape Cod, kind of, or like a neo-colonial, like, Georgian kind of thing. Uh, yeah, okay, if you're if you're in... I don't know where, where he lives, uh, but again, va- don't know if this is him. Valety, New York, uh, or alternatively, Westerly, Rhode Island. It's, big, you know, billionaires, right? Uh, I'm just saying, where's where's Valety? Uh, oh, yeah, that's... Just, just a nice place, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's got like anyway, a nice uh, but, window to look out over his like circular driveway. It's cool. But how? But how this works, right? How this works is uh, basically you have us. You have this company that just does nothing and just has a lot of money. And what that company will then do is it will go and purchase a private. And so, oh, sorry, dude, there's so much it. fucking walnut. Uh, so what this company will do is it will have do nothing, have no money, but it'll be listed on the stock exchange. And then it will go and buy a private company and then merge with it so that that private company has now been listed on the stock exchange, but did not have to go through an IPO process. Of course. Um, yeah. Hmm. So, and that's, they're becoming incredibly popular as uh, consolidation across more or less every industry is causing a lot of companies to want to say, begin going public without the usual having to pay for all the an IPO and all of these kinds of things. Um, so, you I know, mean, it sounds very good and like something that will never end badly. Hmm. Uh, it, it, in the in the 1980s, there was a huge spate of frauds involving SPACs, and they're back. Uh, oh, in well, never... form. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen, yeah. guys, we're never going to uh, have so... fraud now. Fraud is done. We don't, you know. Marcus Brown is innocent, okay? No, it's... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Marcus Brown has actually been charged with another second crime and rearrested. God fucking damn it. posting bail. Okay, we got to post the bail funds in the again. description. Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay. Bail, the bail fund for Marcus Braun is back, baby. <laughs> We're getting, we have to be solidarity with Comrade Braun, who has been targeted by the BA Finn, BA Finn Stasi, who are unwilling to do their uh, unconscious bias against uh, wire card trading. Look, if you seriously um, believe ACAP, so, that includes the Interpol Financial Crime right, Commission, right? Yeah. yeah. Hate to, hate to do um, it, but like, yeah, you too, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, t- two days later, I called and asked who won his game of Risk. I did, he said. Mr. Chapo. Anyway. <laughs> I, ha- I, ha- I have to get into my mineral bath. So that, then this is the week where the line dies and two, 22 million people file for unemployment. 
The billionaire's family was doing fine. He seemed to be the only person I knew who wasn't experiencing near-constant bewilderment, dread, and rage. Huh. Weird how that happens. <laughs> we huh. watch the briefings, then we feel horrible, but we get back to what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, back to uh, the movie that predicted everything in, in 2020, Children of Men. I simply don't think about it. Yeah. I, I watch the yeah, news and uh, I feel terrible, but then there. I use my sex <laughs> teleporter to get sucked off by a twink. <laughs> Makes it much better. That's these days. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. You know, it's just a guy who is accumulating who for who for basically no other reason than for the privilege of disconnecting from the real world entirely. Yeah. And then surrounding himself with like different sort of luxuries so he can you know, idly con- contemplate the ruins of the society that exists. He's a beautiful library, which is a very cultured thing, right? Like, uh, we, I bet he reads it all. We the time. we looked it up. He has like this beautiful, like vaulted ceiling, which is as as Ryan correctly identified. It's, it it is walnut. Um, it's, he's got like a lot mm. of polished walnut shelves. They're very beautifully organized. Um, and you know, I, I I guess he gets to you know he can go and read whatever he wants to read. He can go and open yeah. some cabinets from Wayfair and just kind of <laughs> not not think too much about about the briefing or anything like that. Really, yeah. yeah. Walnut well, is when you, you miss you, your twink. You look at it. You you look at it because if it's because it's what's going on, and then you have the emotional reaction to what's going on. Mm-hmm. But you don't really need to have much. The most material reaction you need to have to what's going on is. Is it time to go to New Zealand? Yeah, yet? no, it's it's actually it maps almost exactly onto uh, I guess this sort of imperial core third world thing. He feels about this the way that you or I feel when there's I don't know like a tsunami in a poor country in Asia, right? You're like, oh, that's sad, and then you're like, oh, I guess maybe I should give like some amount of money, and then you're like, oh, I guess I probably can't go on holiday there for a while. And then you get, yeah. then you go about your business. You go about the rest of your day because, like, you're so disconnected from it. What else are you going to do? However good a person yeah. you think you are. Yeah, then fundraising like, for the little St. James tsunami release <laughs> in the description. Yeah, literally, he is like he is like that meme that's like I ain't reading all that, but you know, I'm I'm glad that happened. Or sorry though. So I I asked how he stayed so calm. He answered, "When you've been lucky, you just assume you're always going to be lucky." Wow. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a billionaire yeah, geezer. That's always how it's happened. Yeah, that's always how it's happened. Is uh, once once economies start growing, then they just sort of continue doing mm-hmm. that. But like, the, I think yeah. the thing to think of here, right, is to understand that there has been this sort of parallel force of ossification and escape velocity that that's occurred. Where everyone who managed where the economy, where ba- we have to consider that most human lives are booster rockets that fall <laughs> away from the main structure of the ship <laughs> yeah. as the life capsule goes to the space station. Well, like, ev- everybody all thinks booster rockets on yeah. this on this. Everybody ship. thinks they're the protagonist of reality, but like the problem is that when you're a, when you're a billionaire, and this is one of the reasons why being rich is bad for you, is that you have evidence to support that contention. Uh, which you should not have. It is not true. It is a thing that you have to train yourself out of believing. It's something you have to unlearn. But you're never going to unlearn the fact that you are not the only person around, and that everyone around you actually does have human souls and lives and experiences and stuff. Uh, if you see no evidence of that whatsoever, 
everybody who talks to you talks to you like they're talking to a billionaire. Because you are. Yeah, you say other people exist, but I don't see anyone else receiving gilded icons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that's who said you say that the, um, the the sort of religious comparison earlier was was a good one, right? Because this is someone who is essentially is treated like a god. This is someone who can bestow anything. Once again, play Disco Elysium. Play, interact with my favorite character, the man who is so rich that light bends around him. Uh, and in and, and in like the characteristic of a god, like it's one who demands like or who, who expects the people under him to sacrifice themselves for him and to maintain the status of said god. Mm-hmm. And he's dispensing mm-hmm. the original sin. He is he is he is essentially the uh, he he is the power to say, well, here is the tragedy that will structure your life, and he has the power to he and, uh, he and sort of others of his class have the power to take away that tragedy, but they bestow it nonetheless, mm-hmm. and then say, well, it is it is it is it is necessary that you do so, and you must offer up kind beseechments to me that I may say develop you a vaccine in one of the labs I was going to use to make a smoother and silky version of Garnier shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> My goop labs. Yeah. The two genders of billionaire, tragedy and farce. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, so uh, was it the sheer size of the gap between the rich and the rest of us that accounted for all the rage about the uh, pandemic? He shrugged that off. You've always had that gap, he said. Now <laughs> you can measure that. It can't that. be bad. You can measure that gap on a chart. And it's almost as if it looks as if that gap widens significantly. No, no, no. Alice, Alice, Alice. Um, the billionaire says it's actually social media making people more aware of the gap. Ah, okay, I see. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's people aren't praying right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, right, it's, he says, I asked the executive if depending on the goodwill of billionaire philanthropists publicly touting their search for a vaccine might make us resent them. Said that makes no sense. Why is there the deep rage that somebody's helping you? He again steered the blame to social media. Everybody's trying to show how yeah. great their life is, so there's a constant comparison. Yeah, Instagram influencers being like, ah, check out this bowl of like, you know, blue cheese jam that I got at Squirrel. And uh, you know, you're just jealous of like that you, person for, you know, giving themselves mycotoxin call, poisoning. Calling this guy a god is like both not inaccurate and also going to give me a live on the air crisis of faith. Right, I'm I'm going back to my teenage anti-theist thing here, because yeah, uh, you know, if, if this guy is a god, then attack and dethrone god. Right, there's to present yourself as being munificent. Right, when it's it's something that you're choosing to make happen. Right, like this guy didn't create the coronavirus. Right, but like the conditions that require people to work in it are things that he helps manifest every day. And then to then say, yeah, but I'm helping, so actually I'm really nice, and it's kind of ungrateful of you, actually, uh, to, to complain about this at all. And have you considered not being on social media so much is so sanctimonious. And I, I understand, right, like... I understand this guy didn't choose to be this way. He is actually he's right about one thing and that's like he is kind of the product of market forces, right? But if he can't see why people are angry at him. And I he, I understand that he never will be able to. 
uh, wh whatever direction this takes, wherever this goes um, in Minecraft, I, I, yeah, I, I don't feel at all bad about it. Well, it's one of these things where you just you you wonder sort of you just you you wonder how how this happens. You look at you look at history. You look at rulers who were worshipped as gods. Mm -hmm. It's just that usually political and economic power tended to be much more closely aligned. If, so if, you, now want, the if you want my Muslim take on this, then it's that this guy isn't God, but he is Pharaoh. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I'm getting at, right? Is that this is that if, if the social reality of being treated as an all-powerful benefactor who is at the at the head of structuring the rules of a system that everyone else plays by, who everyone else has to sort of agree and beseech for favors. Mm. That yeah, essentially it is it is pharaonic, mm. you know. And we are it's just it's just that the plagues guy, of Egypt guy, come down. This, this fucking guy is having his slaves buried alive with him, but their general contract is working on a mansion on fucking Long Island <laughs> that rules. <laughs> They're still being so paid while they're asking. buried alive with him. I just, I'm so into this idea of like future archaeologists, like fucking excavating all of these guys' bunkers in New Zealand and being like, yeah, this clearly had like ritual significance. What, just pulling uh, out one of these yeah, coffee cups looking, that keeps your coffee yeah, hot for yeah, yeah, five yeah. hours? Looking, uh, looking at a big sign that says, you know, uh, danger, do not approach or you'll be shot by Blackwater security guards and being like, the Pharaoh's curse. <laughs> <laughs> And and I just mm, I guess he was buried in his ceremonial yeah, it, ravens. It, what is it, Patagonia? It, it threatened it threatens anyone who would disturb the sanctity of this ritual chamber. Very odd. <laughs> um so he says, uh so none of this frustration, he says, was with the system itself, the tax cuts that favor the rich, government bailouts for big corporations, or the decline of the social safety net. He said, I'm sorry, nobody's worried about the system. They're mad about what's happening in their life. Those two things, like, things might be related. Just uh, saying, no, not possible. This is this is something I've been this is something I've been thinking of. Is like the people who are in charge of all of these all of these systems. You know, they don't even need to be aware that there's a system no. because part of the system is their story that they're there because they're really good at managing risks. Or even the lucky. Like, oh, that's yeah, the cold. Yeah. Yeah. Or even lucky. Yeah. And, and, and say, oh well, nobody's worried about that. I, it all went well for me, so I assume I, I live in this Panglossian world of everything being the best it could possibly be. So I assume that's true all the way down. And there is again just this form of almost Calvinism, where it is again for everyone is living the best life that they could possibly live, having made all the most rational decisions along the way. And there couldn't be any way in which, say, policy decisions made by people whose lives are extra Panglossian. Uh, are able to then say affect how Panglossy and everybody else's life is. No, it's just it is the slow working out of human potential until you're killed with a preventable virus. Yeah, and why would you choose that for yourself? Yeah, why didn't you choose yeah. to be a billionaire? Yeah. Um, Bodies yeah, existence. So my idea, new book. He says. <laughs> he says everybody's got to stop with this stuff about the system. Yeah, I wonder why. But he didn't sound mm. exasperated, just amused. His voice had the same tone of charmed mellowness it had been having five, even since five weeks or so earlier. I mean, listen, we don't know what kind yeah. of pills this guy is taking to maintain. Uh, but yeah, no, I can totally believe, on the other hand, that he would just be and just have total equanimity. Because um, yeah. that 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 fits that that again fits with the 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 pharaonic vibe that this guy has cultivated to be like, well, I guess I got to get up again and move the sun across the sky. But you know, it's a living, isn't it? 
Uh, well, in fact, if you want to talk a little more about moving the sun across the sky, um, the stock market had bounced into its third quickest rebound in history. Wow, it moves uh, like that because the pharaoh gets up there with his chariot and he pushes it. Yeah, this guy pulled it up on a fucking wind. <laughs> Everything is going great, the investor said. Work has gone really well. It was actually a really interesting time. I asked about the video calls he'd said he'd hated a few weeks ago. I've actually gotten into Zoom. I have. I like it now. I can see face to face. Cool. No, sorry. Awesome. I like to see the face. <laughs> Another normal billionaire sentence. I love you, Italian alive, billionaire. I like to see I the face. <laughs> also, it's like again, just just Berlusconi. <laughs> Yeah. And also just bamboozled by digital trinkets. Yeah. It's like, damn, video calls are fun. You can see someone's face. The, They're not even there. That's the Amstrad Whoa. emailer. Well, yeah, also, there's again, a filter this is, that makes you look like a dog. Just a, he's, not, he's not just a pharaoh. He's a child pharaoh. Yes. Yes, fucking Akhenaten <laughs> over here. <laughs> um, he said... Uh, <clears throat> The plan was to try to take advantage of the situation. I asked him what advantage he meant, and he said, I used the wrong word. It's not about- <laughs> Oh, beans, it's... I used the words that make people mad at me again. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I'm going to move the sun across the sky I and forgot try again I tomorrow. was talking to a normal person. <laughs> it's not, quote, take advantage. It's just a huge opportunity for us. That's what it is. <laughs> it it was yeah. a billionaire-involved advantage-taking. <laughs> That's kind of why, that's kind of one of the reasons that people suspect this is Bill Ackman, mm. is because he's like, um, is because it's like, it's this, it's, it's a, a crazy new thing. And this is, I think this is around when Pershing Square Tontine was launched. Um, but, you know, again, we don't know that it's Bill Ackman. Uh, I've just seen it rumored that it's Bill Ackman. Uh, <clears throat> you're in the right place at, at the right time, and you can take advantage of that. Yeah, unlike anyone else has never been in the right place at the right time, except like the five other people who are as rich as yeah, you. Yeah, weird. Yeah, I was simply in the right yeah, place at the right time happened. to become the ruler of the Seleucid Kingdom. I didn't see the. <laughs> <laughs> so the rich. So uh, it was. Pa I painted a very bleak picture to him of the rich being profit off the vulnerable suffering and dying. Yes, it is. It is. He said, "It is horrible." Mm, indeed. That, that's it. D that's, damn, that's, that's crazy though. <laughs> Damn, yeah. that's fucked up. Anyway, that's, that's whack uh, in my opinion. What do you think? So I just got, I just got this walnut spaceport completed. <laughs> Should I make a second peak spaceport? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to construct a fucking walnut Dyson sphere around the sun. Um, it it <laughs> yeah. kind of sucks. I love the idea of being. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of being a billionaire who's employing a bunch of people on, like, uh, more or less some sort of incredibly dangerous proto-slave wage to build, like, a gigantic affront to God. But then whenever someone brings up, like, something like systemic racism, I'm like, well, you know, that's a yikes from me, fam. Yeah. Oh, damn, someone should do something about that. Anyway, back to taking advantage of opportunities. <laughs> anyway, back to my Tower of Babel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I was building. Oh, sorry. I was just building a tower that's so big it's an affront to God, <laughs> so I can go and punch God and become God. Yeah, yeah. No um, one thanks me for doing. I this. asked whether he thought it. I asked whether he thought it was fair for the richest to keep getting richer. He said, "I don't know. Is war fair? Do people die in a war? Yes. You've got a virus that's affecting people. It's pretty clear who it affects. So nature is saying, I'm going to pick on you. Is it fair or is it right? No. But that's life." 
So yeah, nature is being a real piece of shit, and that's all I'm going to interpret yeah. that question as. Some people I have evolved to become hear, billionaires. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot take in the idea that I, through my billionaireness, might be involved in how this is working. It just, it skates right off my head because I have the divine confidence of a child pharaoh who is not ready to believe mm. that he's not actually a god, he's just socially important for other people. This is, this is useful to me, right? Because I used to believe, and I still do to an extent, that uh, all billionaires are Marxists, right? And the smart ones are. Like, uh, all of them know perfectly well that there is a, a class struggle, and that the history of all hitherto existing human existence is one of class struggle, it's just that their class is winning, and they think that's good. But it's it's so nice to be reminded occasionally that there are beautiful, perfect morons who like have yeah. been placed in this in this position and just don't. Damn, that's crazy though. <laughs> oh damn! Wow, nature really fucked with us. We should fucking I don't know. Yeah, feel like, bad. Wait, what if we shot the ocean? <laughs> yeah, blow it up. Yeah, if you want to know what it. kind of if you want to know what kind of a king sends out his troops to go fight the ocean, this is the mindset. Hmm. Anyway, uh, Derek Chauvin uh, then kneels on George Floyd's neck and murders him. I called my billionaire again. Police brutality, he said, was utterly wrong. I asked him about the movement oh. protesting it from Minneapolis to Manhattan and beyond. Let me um, guess, also bad. The demonstration. The demonstrations had mostly been peaceful, but the windows of some fancy midtown shops had been smashed. He says, I don't like when somebody overruns a police station and burns Gosh. it. I don't like when you're destroying property. Gosh. If you don't like the system, I have no qualms. You want to break the system? Then you better be in charge. Yes. Yeah. Cool. yeah. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. That's a good idea. Honestly, this article is like making me dissociate. Like it's so long and yet so completely asinine. Yeah, just guys like, mm, I don't like when some. I don't like when you're destroying property. Uh, again, fix it in the market, I guess, uh, Mister Billionaire. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just elect better cops? Yeah, because it's yeah. so fundamental to what we're doing here. This is just gonna. Yeah. This may as well just be an episode in and of itself, right? So the financial system had roared back which was vindication of a sort for its biggest winners, who didn't see any need for it to change fundamentally. But for most everyone else, there would be consequences. Welcome to- this is what we've been talking about, right? That the, the financial system has- is staying the same from the view of the top, but for that to happen, the way it's organized underneath has had to change fundamentally. So it has changed fundamentally, but that's to make sure that this guy- gets to continue being a child pharaoh and have the engagement with the financial system of a child pharaoh who just gets to transform the world by moving pieces around a board and making phone calls, which he's now made his peace with having to do occasionally. You know. I'm going to have to uh, use the echo dial for the last billionaire quote here. <laughs> All of these millions of people, basically the article goes on, are on track to become food insecure by 2020. And actually, I want to bring it back to something, Alice, you said earlier. Hmm. Where you say, yeah, his view of this is the view that we all used to, many, not we all, but that many people have about like a Save the Children ad that says that this refugee camp has no water or whatever, which is, damn, 
That sucks. Mm-hmm. Someone should do something and, about and that. And perhaps, anyway. like, also, like, if, if you're compassionate, and you can be, it does make a difference, you can give the, like, two pounds a, a month or two pounds a week or whatever for this guy that, you know, he might well do that. He might well give the equivalent of the two pounds a month. It's just, in his case, it'll be 200 million and it'll go to a foundation that, like, mostly makes more money for him. But, like... Yeah, sure. You're basically just as isolated from that suffering. You don't feel any real community because how could you? It's not even that you're a bad person. I don't think that this guy is a bad person. I think that he is a person who has had all of his like uh, capacity for empathy or humanity like rotted out of him. This is beyond good and evil. Yes, um, it, it, it is so, if you also, like pure <laughs> ideology. <laughs> <laughs> so if we say. Now, 54 million Americans will be food insecure in 2020, which is, means America's like a middle-income country now. But it's, a, it's, it is, it's basically like, I don't know, kind of like what Tunisia would have been like in 2007. Mm. You know, it's like it is a relatively prosperous by the standards of a, of, of a middle-income country, middle-income country that just happens to have lots of billionaires. You know what? Okay, it's Russia. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, this yeah. is the, we finally come around to the Russiagate stuff, and it's not through anything material. It's just like kind of, I don't know, it has the same vibe, I guess. Yeah. The Americans it, it think we wish middle- to interfere in their election, but really they will become Russia. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it, is, it is just the transformation of America into a vastly unequal middle income klepto state. Yeah. Looking, looking for job. Russians you are nothing now- to do with it! You are now drinking vodka and smoking Winston cigarette. You look over to your wife. She is now bare. Welcome to Russia. <laughs> no, I, everyone, I look forward to active gay wolf is your boss. Uh, I look forward to the rise of American Silovaki, right? Like uh, um, American men of force who like begin by controlling these kind of splintering state institutions that like grow cops on them uh, until you just like. Mm. I don't know. I-, I love to be ruled by the guy who like is currently in charge of the Department of Education SWAT team. All cops are mushrooms. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, that's. I mean, that's. And the thing is, right? You know, I've, we say Russia had no involvement in doing this, but actually, Russia had an involvement in making it not happen earlier. Yeah. Russia involved. As much as it is, much as America needed to pretend that this isn't what it was always going to become. Mm. To try to basically head off this sort of quite reasonable critique from the Soviet that the Soviet Union brought about to it simply by existing. Yeah, when we talk about late stage capitalism, it's often a somewhat sort of imprecise thing. People get very angry about it because, like, oh, how can you talk about late stage capitalism when we're still in capitalism? You don't know how much longer it's going to go on. No, in terms of class relations and relations of production. This is a late stage of capitalism, right? It is an advanced form of capitalism. Uh, a society ending up there is essentially an inevitability, and that's what's happening. It's just Marx was kind of a bit off on the timing. Well, it's also right, like, um, when you say what is late stage capitalism as well, it's that this is someone who's become rich by abstraction. Mm-hmm. Like, someone like, uh, like, like the early American rail billionaires or the or even like conquerors of things or whatever they 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 yes they were very powerful 
but they understood that there was a system that they had to use to make themselves that powerful. Whereas someone who is whose wealth is just like is a so... dispassionate observer of yeah. the system. You get the same thing in uh, again a previous form of uh, of relations of of power, the, the monarchy, where you have a late stage monarchy, where you have this kind of like degenerated pharaoh or emperor or king who is just kind of there by accident, doesn't really know how or why any of this is happening. And so it's just kind of so like alienation is not a one way phenomenon, right? This guy is also alienated from labor. And when that kind of alienation gets to an extreme form, then you end up in the cool zone. Wait, That's what also, I love about the, the monarchy. Thing, right? My jaw keeps getting bigger. Them class relations stay exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, right, but this is that's the other thing, right? Is that it's not even the difference between this and a monarchy or a pharaoh is that often these child pharaohs are, you know, you know, moronic Habsburgs being like ruled from behind the throne by some vizier or whatever. They like inherited their position. Ackman didn't inherit his position. He or um, again, this is not necessarily Ackman. Uh, we do not know if it is Ackman, but uh, the. Uh, what we're talking about, like the, the finance billionaire, the hedge fund billionaire, didn't inherit their position. In fact, they were very innovative within a certain set of logics to to get there, right? You had to like create you had to be really willing to say create new kinds of like option strategy yes, or whatever. But like my point is, my yeah. point is uh, the extent to which this is interesting is only going to be to historians. Like historians now might be very interested in the precise schemes and the precise machinations you use to become Basileus of the Eastern Roman Empire. To everyone yeah. else, not so much. Well, it's basically it is a way of study of studying of studying your way to the top. You, where you can, by virtue of never producing something, having no relationship with production at all, by simply owning things in the right order, you can basically cast a spell to turn yourself into Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what has happened here. This is why the hedge fund billionaire, it, like the tech billionaire has dreams of changing the world that are, again, fantasies and nonsense and whatever. The hedge fund billionaire just sort of watches the world go by and is like, damn, that's crazy. Anyway. I feel something about it, but I'm gonna go back to eating my ortolan. Mm. Read what the guy's last quote. Yeah, yeah. Weak mortal yeah, yeah. concepts. Yes. Uh, so here is here is the the close of the article. Um, I, uh, my finger uh, is on the echo dial. <laughs> so uh, before we get to before we get get to that, I want to talk about the what he had in mind for transforming the system, especially in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, replacing bad sheriffs and police chiefs and other officials. Elect better cops. Yeah, elect cops. Uh, mm. It's easy to change the system. It really is. It's never hard to change the system. We have a way of going about that. What he doesn't say is, we have a way of going about that that doesn't really change it. Yeah. We have a way of going about that that creates PR for the system. But here is mm. the line that I think is the most honest and one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by this article. You want to change the system? I get that. You want to break the system? You better win. Because if you don't, the system is going to break you. Yes. Damn. This is like a, this is like an Al Pacino speech from a sports movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, he because he has the understanding that he doesn't need to understand the system. It it can be a black box for him because any understanding that he has of it anymore is going to be purely academic. He already knows that it spits out success success for him. 
And he already knows that it guards that success jealously against anyone else. And so that's why it seems like the journalist is asking him questions in another language. And the billionaire keeps being like, why are you why are you asking this? The, this is not relevant to me. And it's like, yes, it's relevant to other people. And it's like, they're not relevant no, to me. No, what's relevant to him is whether or not he won his game of risk, which he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. Mm. He won it. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> the icons anyway, are getting gilded, baby. This has been... Oh, sorry. The icons <laughs> gotta get gilded. We have to. Yeah. Gil- I need those icons on my have, desk gilded and ready I have to employ this force of Irishmen to build me a pyramid. <laughs> I need icons <laughs> of the Spider-Man, goddammit! <laughs> uh, but hey, we're, we're here. We all are. We're all the vizier uh, in in the show Rome, uh, chilling with Cleopatra uh, while she's doing like target practice against one of her least favorite advisors, dressed like an elk. Um, and I fucking love the show Rome. Uh, and we are uh, going to now sign off this bonus episode that may be about an hour or maybe quite a bit more than an hour. We'll have to it's see. A, well, there's your problem. <laughs> length of episode. That's true. Yeah, I feel like it's um, definitely well, very there's your audio more files. close to the two-hour mark than the one. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you know what? Thank you for sitting through it with us. Uh, I think we really I like had... uncovered some things here. Oh yeah, a lot of themes. This w- this episode this episode of Trash Future has been replete with themes. <laughs> the, the, Suck it, James Ball. The, this piece of media may contain scenes. <laughs> may contain scenes of a uh, interesting nature. Um, yes. Uh, oh, sorry, we've been doing uh, clickbait uh, uh, horseshoe theory, uh, 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 echo chambers. But no. Um, look, hey, it's time for us all to go home to our families. Uh, Thank you to uh, Josie for appearing on the first half of this episode. Maybe. Uh, Which might be lost to the, the sands uploaded. of time. <laughs> the lost trash yes. future episodes in the BBC basement. That's right. Uh, and thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, remember, the bail funds are still there. We need to get Marcus Braun out of prison again <laughs> because he's being harassed by B- Marcus Braun lives is being harassed by BA fan. <laughs> <laughs> He's he's they're they're doing police brutality. Uh, we need to help our arrested comrade Marcus Braun. That's right. Um, you think also, this you know basement can contain me? T <laughs> uh, shirts uh, are happening. Britnology is happening. Uh, the Boney Island Whitefish is off for this week, but will be back next week uh, due to Andrew's uh, wishing on a monkey's paw uh, to get some hospital food. Uh, I otherwise wish you all. A fantastic evening or night or morning or whenever you're listening to this because I don't know when people listen to podcasts now. Anyway, uh, later. Bye.